0: So, friends, as I did last week, I'm going to encourage you to pull out your pew Bible. Uh, The fourth chapter of Mark starts on page 32 in the New Testament section of the Bibles that are found in your pew. They have this blue cover on them. Or if you brought your own Bible this week, find it in there. Page 32 is where you'll find it in this one. And I encourage you as we march through this chapter of Mark that you find yourself in the scripture itself at different times, and that if you have a pen or a pencil with you, you might take notes in your bulletin about what jumps out for you from these scriptures as we read through. And with that in mind, friends, let's join in a spirit of prayer. Holy, holy God, we are so thankful for each and every person gathered here this morning and for your holy word that inspires still to this day insights in our life, God, we thank you for this space where we can safely worship you and dig into your word, wrestling with its meaning and pulling out insights. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So friends, there's a few questions that I'm going to put out there before we begin for us to kind of set the stage for this gospel of Mark chapter 4. And the first one is this. Has someone ever tried to sow a seed of love or hope or grace or belonging into your life, but you were not ready to receive it? That's the first one to think about. And the other one, have you tried to sow a seed of love or hope or grace or belonging into someone else's life? And how'd that go? Did it fall on rich soil ready to receive it? Or has it fallen instead perhaps on pressed dirt or on rocky or thorny terrain? So as we look at the parable of the sower, which might more aptly be called the parable of the soils, there are these several essential movements to it. So it starts with Jesus preaching and teaching to a crowd. And at this time he's using his kind of nautical pulpit. He's in a boat. And there's the backdrop of the sea behind him. And that might have come as quite a shock for people of the day. He's not teaching indoors or in a synagogue or a temple. He's teaching from his pulpit boat. He's out in nature. He's connecting with the people in the midst of this familiar backdrop of the sea. And so as he's in this pulpit boat, Jesus begins to teach his followers in parables. And this chapter 4 is one parable after another. And parables are essentially a way that Jesus teaches a message using familiar elements. So using the places and the things and the language and the people and the familiar patterns of life that people may have had. And Jesus comes and he takes these elements and creates these larger spiritual messages that are brought out of them. And so Jesus tells those gathered about a farmer about somebody laying down seed. And the seed lands in three places that are not so hospitable. And the first one is that pressed dirt pathway. And then the second one is the rocky ground. And the third one is the thorny ground. And in none of those three places, does the seed really have a chance to take root and to flourish. And in one way we could read this and see that's a lot of wasted seed. And yet there is this fourth place that we hope that the seed lands and that's the good ground or the good soil where it can take root. And now it's important in this passage because in some ways we might wanna critique this farmer that he is just tossing out this seed willy nilly. We might wonder where are his skills, but it's relatable. Some seed falls on the pathway by accident but most of the seed was sown on ground that was plowed after that seed was cast. And so the farmer and we, the people who are reading don't really know that there are necessarily rocks or thorns that come up and grow around it. And then there's the final fourth type of seed that falls on the good ground, the seed that produces and thrives and carries on and bears fruit. And so this morning, Keep those two initial questions in your mind as you move through this parable and the others. Have you been in that position of the one casting seed? And have you been the position of one who has received seed as good soil or perhaps as one of these rocky or thorny soils? And the reason to ask these questions and to bear this parable into our lived experience in life is that that is the way that parables come to life in our Uh, in our faith, and it's the way in which we can make use of them in today's context to say, how have we been in each of these characters, as the one who plants the seeds out and as the one who might receive them. And so Jesus says this parable of the sower or of the soils, and then he moves on to talk about why he would teach in parables at all. And this is in response to the disciples saying, why are you doing this? Verses 10 through 20, Jesus is explaining this purpose of parables. And so we recognize that these parables are these story lessons that use familiar objects and places to teach these larger spiritual principles. And we see that, of course, in our communion meal as well, this bread and this juice that becomes something larger in the context of the sacrament. And so the 12 are asking Jesus, why teach in parables? And Jesus responds first with a lecture about the concept of parables themselves, and then finally with this kind of answer key to the parable of the sower. And so Jesus responds back to them, to you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to others they will be taught in parables. And so a mystery in this biblical sense is this idea that it is something that is revealed by God to someone or to some people. And so Jesus is saying to the 12 that they are receiving the mystery of God in a way that is different, perhaps, than other people. And that many other people who are hungry for God's word will receive it best in other formats, perhaps in parables. And so on first glance, this could definitely be read as some hierarchical kind of implications that run counter to a lot of Jesus' teachings. However, there's this great essential truth pedagogically in what he is saying, that different people will learn and absorb in different ways. And skilled teachers present their material in a variety of ways so that more people can come to understand. I remember that at different times in school, I would have a teacher who was perhaps having a teaching style that was a mismatch for my learning style. And I imagine many of us in this room have had that as well, right? There was this one particular history class that I had where each class was essentially the same format as the last class, and that particular format of exact lecture never really absorbed inside my brain, and so that one didn't stick with me as much as in other ways some other classes did. And so if we think of Jesus as a great teacher, if we think of Jesus as appealing to how he can send out his message to the most number of people as possible, we might think of this parable concept as a lesson in learning styles, as a lesson in pedagogy. So the thing that's also kind of key about parables is the idea of the key itself. Within each parable structure, there tends to be perhaps one verse or one concept that is the key that unlocks the parable. And so in this chapter 4, if you go to verse 14, that says, The sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. The sower is sowing the word of God, God's love and mission into the world. And that sower sows the word is the key which unlocks how the hearer can interpret this parable in the way that it is intended. And so... Then Jesus explains the parable of the sower with that key in mind. The sower sows the word. And so he says basically this. The word of God is like a seed. And that word can be thrown in us, sown in us, planted in our hearts with an opportunity to grow and to thrive and to flourish, to root down and to bear fruit. And yet that doesn't always happen. Some of those seeds that are planted in our hearts do flourish, but some do not Some of us are not necessarily the good soil for the seed to be planted in at that exact moment because of whatever might be happening in our lives. Some of us are the kind of soil that it's more like a hard-pressed dirt in the pathway and there's no space or nourishment for any kind of God message or love to flourish, hardened to that message of love and grace. And then some of us are kind of like that soil that's stony in nature, maybe some of the gardeners in the room know what that soil is like, talking about that person who hears the word of God, hears this message of love and hope and grace, and perhaps enthusiastically receives it right away, but there's really no soil for rooting down in, no community or church family or religious education to help them to heed that word of God and allow it to take root, even in moments of sorrow and challenge. And finally, there's some of us who are maybe like that third soil type, that thorny ground. And for those, when the seed, the word of God, is sown, planted, it might stay a while, but it'll soon be choked out by the matters of this world or whatever parts of the day that are calling to us in that moment. So the bottom line message that Jesus leaves us with in this particular section is that the word of God may fall on good and fruitful soil, And when it does, it changes something in the individual's life such that it bears fruit in a way that we might be able to recognize. And if nothing is changing, perhaps there's something off about the soil. Perhaps the soil needs some adjustments. Adjustments, and there's no indictments here because plenty of gardeners know that soil sometimes isn't ready, but it's something to be aware of. It's something to be aware of and to help us think about whether or not we are good soil for receiving or whether or not there may need to be some adjustments in order to be good soil. The next two sorry. The next section of the Gospel of Mark, chapter four, is about the lamp under the bushel basket. And we will sing this song that many of us know, hiding that light under a bushel basket. And in this section, Jesus is teaching again with familiar objects. So you're seeing again lamps, bushel baskets and out of that, creating these larger spiritual meanings. In this case, we're looking at not wanting to hide the light of the spirit away, not wanting to cover God's light, but instead to allow that light to shine and to spread messages of hope and love and peace and inclusion and grace. And it's also a bit of a message of accountability, that if you have that light, you should not hide it, but instead should allow it to shine and allow yourself to have that purpose in the world to share that light with others. The next two sections are brief, which is very typical of the Gospel of Mark's style, that he writes straight to the point, he writes with brevity. And those two are both about seeds as well. The first one is about a growing seed, and the second about a mustard seed. And in those two sections, I invite you to read that over the next week and see if you might pull out some of these concepts of parable and seed and growing and how these familiar objects are used to cast larger spiritual messages. Jesus again returns to the sea. At the end of the chapter, we find him again in a boat. So at the beginning of the chapter, we found him in a boat preaching and teaching in what was his boat pulpit. At the end of the chapter four, we find him again in the sea, but in a very different kind of scene. In this scene, Jesus is sleeping up in the stern of the boat, and his disciples are with him, and there's other boats around as well. And this massive storm is raging, the type of storm that makes a person anxious and fearful, even if they're used to being on the water. And so these disciples are really scared, and they're very concerned, and they see their snoozing leader in the stern of the boat, and they wake him up. And they say, don't you care about our fates? What if we're perishing? (coughs) And then the leader, Jesus, he wakes up and he says, peace, be still. He says this to the waters. And then the waves, they go from raging to calming. If you live in Nahant, you know this kind of imagery. If you sit at the shore long enough where the waves can be raging, but if you stay long enough, sometimes you can catch the calm. And so the waves and the wind and the sea, they obey Jesus, and they start to calm. And then that's when Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And we know what that's like, right? To be in the midst of the storm of life when things are raging around you. And those stormy winds and rains, those stormy winds and rains that can make it seem like you Will surely perish like how can I possibly survive this storm and so I invite you the next time that storm is happening or if you look back in your mind's eye to picture what it might be like for sleeping Jesus to be with you in the midst of that storm what might it look like for teacher Jesus to come up alongside you to calmly command all of that chaos in your life to be still What would it look like for Jesus to come up alongside you and ask you, why are you afraid? And not necessarily as an accusation, but as an inquiry. Why are you afraid? An inquiry into the state of your being in the world. Why are you afraid when God's own self is with you in the midst of this raging storm? Why are you afraid when God's own self cares so much about you as to quiet that storm and sit with you As the waters of the sea regain that familiar lapping pattern, why are you afraid? And friends, that concludes chapter four of the Gospel of Mark. So we started with Jesus in this pulpit boat, talking about the parable of the sower or of the soils, we might say. And then the disciples asking him, why all these parables? And many of us ask that too when we read the Bible, why all these parables? And so they ask him and he says, why? And he gives the key to the parable. The seed is God's word. Then he says a few more parables. First, about a lamp. Don't hide it under a bushel. Let your light shine. And then about two more kind of agricultural pieces. And finally, he returns. We find him back in the boat scene with the storms raging and him calming the seas and the chaos and then asking the disciples, why are you afraid? From boat to boat with seed and light, familiar objects in the middle. And that's the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And so I have a few takeaways from this fourth chapter But let's sit in silence for just a moment here, and I'm going to ask you if you have a word or a phrase or a particular verse, perhaps a one-line takeaway from the chapter four that you're going to bring home with you this week, if you'll share it with us. away from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark for this week. Have faith, don't be afraid. Have faith, <coughs> don't be afraid. Jesus can calm the raging sea. Jesus can calm the raging sea. Yeah, as a metaphor. Mm-hmm. can be a raging sea within us. Mm-hmm. can be a raging sea within us. <coughs> he teaches by asking questions and making us wrestle with finding the answer. He doesn't give us. Yeah. Jesus teaches by asking questions so that we wrestle with to find the answers. I put it out all the time Yeah. That life is not all the time peaceful, but there are these ups and downs that we learn to deal with. Don't stop at the first seed. Don't stop at the first seed. Yeah. 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 Those are great. Those are great. Alright. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your presence in this room today and for each of these amazing people who are here today. We're thankful for your word and the Bible and the ways in which it comes to life even in the year 2020 when we read it together and we think and we dream about what it may mean for us and for your world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, our next song comes from the Red Hymnal. It's number 141. Red Hymnal number 141. So share with your neighbor and raise your hand if you don't have one near you.